Today is obviously Good Friday, the day that we remember Christ's death on the cross for us. It's also Passover, the beginning of the Passover festival, the day when Jewish people remember by a celebration the establishment of their nation and their deliverance out of slavery in Egypt. Some of you may have been to a Passover Seder before, uh, maybe a Christianized one. These Passover Seders are great traditional celebrations uh, that have a number of elaborate steps to them. There's a lighting of candles that's followed by a 15-step feast that centers around the telling of the story of the Exodus, which is the deliverance of the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Some of the elements of that feast include four cups of wine, vegetables dipped in salt water, children asking questions that kick off the story of the Exodus, eating matzah and bitter herbs, and singing. It's a wonderful experience in some sense, and um, obviously full of tradition. But that meal, as it's celebrated today, is not the way that it's always been celebrated. There's a substantial item that is missing from it that had been essential to the meal. If we roll back our clocks and think about history for a moment, and we go back to the time of Jesus, a time of history that's referred to as Second Temple Judaism because it was when the Second Temple of the Jews had been built. It's the time that you read about in your New Testament, in the time of the Gospels. During that time, the Passover was celebrated. And we know a fair amount about what that Passover meal looked like at that time. You can read about that celebration at some point in the New Testament, but you can also read about it in the Mishnah, which is the commentary, in a sense, of the Old Testament law. The Passover feast is described in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 16, by saying that you may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose. To make his name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening, at sunset, at the time you came out of Egypt. The place that was established was Jerusalem, in particular the Temple Mount. And so during the time of Jesus, people would come from all over Judea, really over, all over the land of Israel, and would travel to Jerusalem. And we read about this again in the Mishnah, and you get a sense of what the spectacle must have been like. And let me retell it for you a little bit. These families, having traveled all over the land, would arrive in Jerusalem, and there they would buy a lamb, about one year old, and they would bring, or one representative of the family in that crowded city would bring it to the temple. And all of these men with their lamb around their neck or under their arm, would arrive at the temple gates. And priests would be lined up at the temple in rows. There would be one row of priests that would have silver bowls, another row of priests that would have golden bowls. 
And at a particular time, the gates would be opened and they would allow a certain number of the men with their lambs to enter into the temple and they'd line up by the priests. And then once the courtyard was filled or the, they would close the gates and the rest of the people would remain outside because there could only be so many that fit into that place. And as these men with their lambs went in, they lined up in front of those priests and the lambs would then be sacrificed. They'd be slaughtered. And those bowls that the priests were holding would collect the blood of those lambs. And the line of the priests would act like a conveyor belt, and they would have that blood, and they would pass it to the priests behind them or beside them, and on and on it would go until it reached the altar. And at the altar, the priest would dump out the blood at the base of the altar. And then the empty bowl would be returned to the front of the line. The bowls didn't have a bottom on it or didn't have a flat bottom. It was rounded so that the priests wouldn't be tempted to set the blood down so that it would congeal. They needed the blood fresh and pourable so they could pour it all over the altar. This would go on until that group was finished. And then that group would be sent out and the next group would come in And they do that about three times. And all the time it's going on, as the group outside is waiting, they sing the Hallel, which is Psalms 113 to 118. But the priests were so efficient at the business of slaughtering the lambs that they really only got through three of the Psalms before it was all done. All these lambs, all this blood. And then with these dead animals, the men would hang them on hooks around the temple, and they would be flayed. The skin would be taken off, the innards of the animal would be taken out, and those would be brought to the altar to be burned. Once this was done, the representatives with their now dead lamb carcass would take it back to their family they would roast it on a branch of hyssop and eat it. The lamb was central to the Passover celebration. It took up a good amount of time, energy, and focus for the whole Passover ceremony. Something changed in 70 A.D., This tradition had been going on for a number of years, but in 70 AD, there was a great Jewish revolt, and the Romans put that to an end and destroyed the temple. And so now as Jews came to celebrate the Passover, those who survived had to deal with the question, how do they celebrate Passover? There's no temple to go sacrifice at. What are they to do? Some leaders initially thought that they could do the sacrifices in their home. Others thought that that was contrary to Deuteronomy 16, which had appointed a particular place where the sacrifice had to be offered. And so for a time, it was kind of up in the air. But after a couple of generations, the issue was more or less settled, and they had agreed that they were not going to sacrifice a lamb at home, and the Passover now would be lambless. 
Some seders today, depending on the tradition, do involve lamb. But by and large, the tradition of having lamb involved at a Passover seder is gone. They're waiting for the rebuilding of the temple in order for a place to sacrifice a lamb and keep the Passover appropriately. The present day, some Jews have been arrested on the Temple Mount for attempting to sacrifice lambs on Passover Eve. The Israeli government doesn't want that to happen for the potential of strife and conflict because on the top of the Temple Mount there is a mosque. Where are the lambs for Passover? The essential presence of a lamb at the Passover is really biblically established for us in Exodus 12. Exodus 12 is the biblical foundation of the Passover. It's a time when the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. God sent Moses to deliver the people from that slavery. And, had, and God had brought nine disastrous plagues upon the people of Egypt. Nine plagues had come full of the fury and power of God. We come to Exodus 12 with one more remaining. Exodus 11, verses 4 through 6, tells us about that tenth and final plague. It says, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every person in the land, or every firstborn in the land of Egypt, shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. That's the tenth and final plague that was going to come upon Egypt, a terrible disaster. The firstborn of every household will be taken. Before that plague came, God gave instructions in Exodus 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, 
roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any, any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This was such a momentous event in the history of Israel that the Lord says in Exodus 12, 14, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. That Passover night, after Israel had observed all that the Lord had commanded them, it says in Exodus 12, 29, At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. The Lord went through Egypt, and every door not marked by the blood of the Lamb was struck with the plague of death of the firstborn. The Lord said in verse 23, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. The Passover lamb is not just a nice feature of a nice tradition that could be included or not included. The Passover lamb is an essential memorial to the fact that God passed over bringing severe judgment on a people. without meaning any offense to the dear Jewish people around the world who are keeping the Passover. The Passover cannot be properly understood without a lamb. That is the substance of it. That night of the first Passover was not just an event to get Israel out of Egypt. It was also an event to protect Israel from God's judgment. The blood of an unblemished lamb was needed to have God pass over them in judgment. The Israelites were not better by nature than the Egyptians. In fact, they were idolaters like the Egyptians and worshipped some of the gods of Egypt. 
And they deserved the wrath of God just as much as the Egyptians did. But God provided a means of escape from his wrath through the blood of a lamb painted on their door. God's judgment is real. And it is to be meted out upon sinners. Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins. Acknowledging that people have sins and deserve judgment for them. And so there is no less need of protection from God now. The destroyer is not necessarily coming tonight. You may survive the night. You may wake up in the morning, but there will be a day that comes when death reaps your life. God is slandered all the time when people portray his judgment as flippant, tyrannical, petty, like he's some demigod who throws a tantrum when he doesn't get his way. The Bible does not portray God anywhere near that pathetic and slanderous caricature. God is the creator of the world and therefore owns everything. He is the lawgiver and therefore the one who declares right and wrong. He is the judge who bears the responsibility for judiciously applying his moral law upon his moral creatures. And the true pathetic reality is that his moral creatures have decided to rebel against this God. And we all, likewise, have exchanged the true God for fake gods. And we worship the very things that God created to acknowledge his glory, and we exchange them in his place. Worst of all, we are those pathetic demigod acting people who throw tantrums when we don't get our way and mete out our wrath and anger upon people who offend us. And we throw those kind of pathetic pity parties and we idolize ourselves and we expose ourselves to be terrible gods. Far be it from us to confuse our pathetic sense of justice with the God of the universe who rules with absolute standards. God speaks in Job chapter 40 to Job who has been calling into question God's wisdom in his rule over the world. And God says to Job, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Can you do that? Can you bring down the proud? Can you bring judgment on the wicked? 
You might like to think so, but you are not able to. And so God preserves the right to be judge of all, and we submit ourselves to his justice. And the plague of the firstborn being taken is a demonstration of the severe judgment of God upon sinners. And the only thing that spared the Israelites was not their goodness, not their prayers. It was the blood of a lamb. Where is the lamb for the Passover? Tonight, we get to partake in communion. And you know how this works. We pass out bread, and we pass out juice. We're instructed to take this. Jesus instructed us in this meal. It's called the Lord's Supper. And we are told to eat bread and drink the fruit of the vine. It's effectively a modified Passover feast. That's when it was instituted. But as we take these elements that are right before us, that are really a modification of the Passover feast, we could ask the question, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for our Passover feast? You can't have a real Passover feast without a lamb. Where is the lamb? John chapter 1, verse 29, finds us hearing from John the Baptist, who has been baptizing people for the repentance of sins. He has declared himself to be The voice crying out in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. It says in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here we find the answer to it all. Where is the lamb for the Passover feast? Where is he? Let your ears listen to John the Baptist. He says first, behold. That means look, pay attention, Give your full attentiveness to this. Behold, behold the Lamb. A sacrifice. It goes without saying that he is without spot or blemish. He is perfect in all attributes. He has no sin. He is perfectly righteous. He has no detriment in him, no sinful inclinations in him. He is pure, holy through and through. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb sent of God. You don't need to go out and find your own sacrifice. You don't need to pick out 
a lamb that's without spot and blemish from your flock. You don't need to pick him up and carry on his shoulders. You don't need to go and have him sacrifice at the temple. It is the lamb that God himself has sent. He is the lamb that God himself has provided. This is the lamb who takes away the sin. That is the fundamental problem. And that is why judgment comes, because of sin. He is the lamb who takes away the sin. And unlike the lamb of the original Passover that was given just to Israel and not to Egypt, only Israelites were saved from that destroyer on that first night. This lamb has come, and he is the lamb of the world, who makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile, but all who welcome him as their lamb are received the benefits of his blood poured out for them. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, not just of Israel, not just of Egypt, but of the world. Behold this Lamb. And as Jesus inducted that first communion on that Passover night, Jesus told his disciples to take the bread and eat it, for this is my body. He told them to drink the wine, for this is his blood. But there's still something missing. Where's the lamb? And I love the way one author puts it. It seems strange at first that the Gospels should mention only bread and wine and not the lamb that was doubtless also on the menu. Perhaps they intend to avoid confusion since the lamb is sitting at the table with them. Where's the lamb for the meal? It is Christ. And he has been sacrificed on the cross where his blood was spilled to make atonement for sin for all who would receive him as the lamb of God. You don't need to find your own lamb. It's been provided for you. You don't need to make another sacrifice. It's already been done. Jesus declared it is finished. And so as we take communion, we're not making another sacrifice. As we eat the bread, we're not eating his real body. As we drink the juice, we're not drinking his real blood. That's already been done. It's all over. He made the atonement, and it is over. And we do this in remembrance of the lamb, the Passover lamb, who once for all has been slain. This is our lamb. What remains for us? You accept the sacrifice that has been made for you. We don't need to have a full Passover feast because the fullness of it has come in Christ. We eat the bread and drink the juice to remember what he has already done as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I invite all of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ to partake in this and receive Christ who was given for you and remember what he has done. Let's pray and then we will enjoy this time together. Father, we praise you that you have provided the Lamb 
Jesus Christ is our Passover sacrifice. We look to him for the full forgiveness and atonement that we need to be spared your wrath and saved from our sins. We praise you that you would have such mercy on sinners like us to provide a lamb for us in our place, to die for us so that we wouldn't have to. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are willing to go to the cross and be sacrificed on our behalf to endure your Father's wrath against sin, against our sin. We remember what you have done, Lord. Thank you. Amen.